Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is, of course, the voice of Tavis Killian here with Rare Petro to bring you yet another episode of Monday Madness. Today is February 22nd, and things for our friends down in Texas seem like they are finally starting to look up as a lot of the state thawed out over the weekend and hits those 60s and 70s today. Definitely talking a little bit about that later, but if anything, that week highlighted the importance of having reliable and weatherproofed grids, even if those weather patterns only happen once every 10 years or so. But hey, I'm getting ahead of myself. Those of you who have been longtime listeners know that this podcast has structure. We have traditions, so it is only right that we hop into some of those most important statistics that we know and love. Starting off, I want to make a correction from last week. When discussing WTI prices, I mentioned that markets were closed for President's Day, but oil still trades. Well, even though oil was being carted all around the world in the process of being physically traded, futures markets also observe holidays and were closed for trading, so I was factually incorrect. Just a little update because we do value accuracy and facts here at Rare Petro. Now, for this week's WTI prices, at the time of writing the script for this episode, WTI prices are just barely over $61. I definitely expected this price, or even natural gas, to be a little bit higher, considering that electric supply in the South was so short that a veteran in Dallas was charged $16,752 for his non-fixed electric bill. That being said, that is relatively small in the uh, global scale, so if anything, it provided enough pressure to maintain above $61 pricing. <laughs> Look at me. WTI prices were only $53 a month ago, and here I am getting greedy for more. While I definitely don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, I feel the WTI pricing is solid and due for more growth in the near term. Next up, of course, the rig count. We are now about four weeks from when the federal drilling ban was announced, and my prediction of steady to slightly increasing rig counts for several weeks still holds. We're definitely not seeing the type of activity or growth we saw at the end of last year, but it is growth nonetheless. The most recent drilling report reveals nothing, a change of zero. My prediction still holds, but is this the end? Now, I'd be surprised. I think we still have a couple of weeks of limited growth ahead of us, but I don't know for how much longer. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if we reached the end of March with zero to four rigs gained per week, as Texas lost quite a bit of its production and we need to replace some of that, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the start of March introduced some dwindling numbers. As for the nitty-gritty details, Alaska and Louisiana lost two rigs outside of their major basins, so no unusual activity there. Fortunately, we were able to count on the Permian to somehow put up one rig this week despite the bitter cold. Very impressive to those of you in the Permian, but the Permian almost always wins. That's right, it's time for the second, second place, place stud, stud of the, of the week. week. The only other basin to put up a rig instead of going steady was North Dakota's very own Williston Basin. Remember who won last week? That's right, the Williston Basin. Our reigning champion brought their total from 13 to 14 rigs for that 8% increase on the week and two rig increase for the past two weeks. Congratulations to them for finding a way to grow in the current political climate and weather climate for that matter. Lastly, you know we have to touch on those inventories. The API's most recent report claims a 5.8 million barrel drawdown. Incredible. The EIA followed up with another report claiming a seven and a quarter million barrel drawdown. These are stellar numbers. More and more economies are starting to reopen with vaccine distribution, and nations are consuming more oil on the daily. Now, there is another massive factor to consider. While exact numbers are not known, Texas alone could have shut in 4 million barrels per day of production, and a lot of that may not return on its own. We will definitely talk more about that in our news section of the podcast, but that is an incredible portion of American production to be halted. 
I'm predicting more inventory drops in the future, and if you weren't bullish on an oil return before, I don't know what can convince you now. I mentioned last week that domestic inventories were finally dropping into a 5-year average, and the EIA's data shows that we are now slightly below the median and quickly dropping. The last time we had inventories this low was, of course, on that huge climb thanks to COVID, but before that, July of 2019. I cannot stress this enough. We are currently at a normal domestic inventory, the states have likely lost a significant portion of their production to the freeze, and inventories were already headed down before that. I think oil prices are likely to rise more very soon. But gee whiz, I have spent too much time looking at our weekly statistics, and it is high time we moved on to our stories. Like I mentioned, the range of daily production in Texas is in the neighborhood of 5 million barrels per day, and anywhere from 2 to 4 million barrels is currently shut in, or simply frozen in pipelines. Producers speculate it could take around, well, at least two weeks to get everything back to normal, per se, but of course, lots of this production is unlikely to come back naturally. Typically, EMP companies are able to weather the storm, no pun intended, but the sheer scale of production affected is historical. The problem lies in the fact that there was just not enough power to supply compressor stations, so everything was backed up and then frozen. It's not as simple as turning the power back on either, because there's still plenty of frozen roads and lots of broken infrastructure thanks to the freeze. It is expected that production could be back at 50% this week, but may not recover to 100% of pre-storm production until well into March. JP Morgan analysts estimate the lost production for the month of February will total 16 to 18 million barrels. That's more than three times the daily statewide production of Texas. Makes you wonder. What are the plans for weatherproofing in the future? Well, while this was a 30-year low for Texas, and not even the first devastating freeze of the past two decades, many producers are considering this to be a once-in-a-century event, and so they're unlikely to dump money into their infrastructure. As John Kildruff at Again Capital puts it, quote, It's a cross-benefit analysis. They're thinking, how often does this happen? Are we going to deal with this once in a decade? It's not really worth it for them to guard off against an outlier event. End quote. It's tough to argue with that considering we just came off of 2020 and many of these companies don't have enough free capital to dump into projects like this if it isn't likely to happen in the next 10 years. I mean, <laughs> from a career lifespan perspective, let's say your boss comes in, throws a report on your desk, and says he needs it finished in the next 20 to 30 years. Pretty easy for all parties involved to kick that can way down the road. Plenty of EMP companies can stomach a week-long production outage, although they wouldn't want to, but we can't expect people to sit through a week of rolling blackouts when temperatures sit at negative 6. Let's hope ERCOT addresses the issues and is prepared for the next time this happens. Now, I could spend the rest of this episode talking about issues in Texas, but I think we are running out of time today and I want to provide a wide buffet of energy stories, so let's move on to some international news. Many weeks ago, I had a story talking about Iraq's prepaid oil contract with China. At the time, Iraq was concerned oil prices were going to remain depressed for, well, quite a while, so they were offering long-term prepaid contracts. China decided that it may be a good idea to secure a steady contract for their defense subsidiary, Zenhua. Zenhua is owned by the state defense corporation Narinco. You can sort of think of the corporation as a Chinese Lockheed Martin. Narinco is a refinery capacity of 120,000 barrels per day, and this deal with China would allow Iraq to lock into five years of cheap oil sales that would generate some money for them and give China a good deal. I mean, Iraq had debts to pay and was doing its best to creatively circumvent OPEC plus restrictions with these contracts in order to bring in more money. A $2 billion contract was finalized. 
They both agreed to the terms. Fast forward a few months to today. Oil prices are making an incredible rally, and Iraq is trying to go back on its word. Energy Minister Ihsan Abdul-Jabbar said, quote, We had concerns that oil prices would not rise above $40 when we announced this deal for the first time in the history of Iraq, end quote. Now they see that they have provided China with a godlike deal on oil and are losing out on massive potential profits. To me, this is hilarious as it did backfire and Iraq is scrambling to recover potential losses. I mean, it's a contract for God's sake. Kind of hard to back out of those, especially when China already gave them the $2 billion that they asked for. If they're somehow able to not only pause this but cancel it, their first prepaid contract would be the laughingstock of the Middle East and many people would likely not take them up on a similar deal in the future. If they do go through with it, the losses will be substantial, and China will have made off like a bandit. They should have listened to Rare Petro's bullish predictions to know that oil would not sit in the $40 range for five years. But that is the end of this episode. You can avoid making the same mistake as Iraq by subscribing to this podcast, written periodical, and basin news all available on rarepetro.com. Imagine if you walked into an interview and you were able to regurgitate all the information that Rare Petro puts out. You'd definitely have an edge over someone who only spent their time applying for jobs. Also, an important update. We will be adding transcripts from Monday Madness segments and maybe some others to our website page where you can find the podcast, so if you have any hearing-impaired friends and do want to discuss this with them, please let them know. We want this content to be accessible to everyone, but that is all I've got for you. Thank you for tuning in, and until we see you next time... Take care, everybody.